Well, hey, it's great to be with you today and be able to open God's Word. Well, hey, Christmas 2018 is over. The tree may still be up, and if it is, I guess it looks a bit empty underneath. Uh, The Christmas cookies and goodies are gone, or you're hoping they will disappear soon. Excuse me. Visiting family members have left to go back home, or maybe you're wishing they would go back home. The Christmas parties, programs, are history. And you're maybe thinking about when you can get the Christmas lights down and decorations put away and when you can begin that new diet. The excitement of Christmas that took weeks to build to a crescendo for all of us, I think, it's now over. Life has gotten back to some sense of normalcy, but here's the question. Should it? Shouldn't something be different for each one of us because of Christmas? Shouldn't something be changed in our souls because of the significance of Jesus Christ that we celebrated at Christmas and spend so much time, energy, and effort planning for and celebrating and for it to just simply end in a day? I know for me, it's so easy to fall back into the same old routines of life and really forget about the significance of Christmas because I'm so quick to move on to the next thing. The back-to-life and business-as-usual habits that we can sometimes get ourselves into, but, but what should it be like as we enter this new year? I want us to take some time today and look into God's Word and consider the example of those that were actually there that first Christmas and how their lives were changed, not just for a brief time, but how their lives were dramatically changed, how their lives were rocked in a huge, huge way, and what would be different for them. And what maybe should be different for us and not allow just the events of Christmas of a few days ago just pass back into history for each one of us? What would be different for those that were there on that first Christmas? How would their lives be changed? Their lives were going to be profoundly altered. They were changed and life for them was never, ever going to be the same. As we encounter the Christ of Christmas, as our lives should be changed. They shouldn't be the same. We shouldn't fall back into the same old routines of life. Our lives should be radically transformed. They should be changed. And so what should follow Christmas for us? What should follow Christmas? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to consider verses 19 through 32 as we look at the lives of several individuals whose lives were radically and dramatically changed. I mean, think about what it was like for Mary and for Joseph. Think about what it was like for the shepherds who delivered the message that they had received out in the fields. Others that encountered the Christ child of Christmas. What happened to them? What happened to them after Christmas? Their life was going to be rocked. It was going to be turned upside down. Nothing would ever be the same for them again. And so let's begin by first looking at Mary and see how she responds to the events of the first Christmas and what can we learn from her. That's our first point as we consider Mary. Remember and ponder all that Christ is. Remember and ponder 
on all that Christ is. Look at verse 19 of Luke chapter 2. It says there, but Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And I'm sure we have a a sense of what she may have experienced and and gone through. But I think it would be helpful if we go back into the story a bit to get a a better understanding, a, a running start, so to speak, to some of what and why Mary was so reflective, why she pondered, why she treasured all the things that she'd experienced in her life. Look at verse 15 in chapter 2. We read there in verse 15 that when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, when they saw the baby, when they saw Joseph, when they saw Mary, they made known the saying that had been told to them. A message that Mary and Joseph hadn't heard yet made known to them the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Something new, something radical, something unique. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds had an amazing story to to tell Mary and Joseph and, and what they experienced. And we're going to talk about them in just a little bit. But for Mary, I think... Mary went back into her mind to the first encounter that she had with the angel Gabriel. The very first encounter. And what she said to her. And what the angel said to her. Notice back in chapter 1, verse 30. Where we read there where it says that when the angel first came to her. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then she thought about what happened to her, her her relative Elizabeth. Look at verse 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. All of these messages, all of these things she was beginning to ponder, to treasure, and reflect upon. I'm sure that Mary also thought about how Joseph responded when when she first told him that she was expecting, and he goes, this can't be. And then how he had this dream where he did a 180. And the message that the angel had given to Joseph, and I'm sure Joseph then shared with Mary. And she must have recalled the long and difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And all the events of the birth itself, including the surprise visit of the shepherds, she, she had so much, so much to ponder, so much to treasure, so much to think about. Her life was changed dramatically. No doubt she continued to wonder why God had chosen her. Why? Why me? Why am I so different? I'm sure she pondered what was ahead for her newborn son based upon what she had been hearing from from the shepherds and from others. Mary treasured in her heart all that she had been feeling, all that she had been experiencing, and there was so much for her 
the word that's used here in the passage, the word treasured. This has the idea of a deep reflection on things, of people, of events, of circumstances, of, of encounters. It, it's like making a mental list so that you won't forget anything. It's what you might do at the end of a very busy day, and, and you don't want to forget. You want to make sure that everything that happened that day, you, you have listed down on, in a journal or on a piece of paper or something. And for Mary, there was so much for her to reflect upon. Mary not only treasured all that had happened to her and Joseph, but she also, the text says, she then pondered over those things. She pondered on the events of her life, which pondering means you go deeper than simply trying to remember and reflecting about something that happened. It means to take the events as you've laid them out in your mind or on your piece of paper or in your journal and your memory and you go beneath the surface and you try to understand what it all means and why it happened the way that it did. It's taking time to reflect and to ponder and to treasure and try to just muse over those events, not just as happenings or facts, but to go beneath the surface. Pondering, thinking deeply about something takes work, it takes time, it takes effort which I think is why many of us never get around to it. And, and yet, I'm convinced that this is the perfect time of year for each one of us to do it. What better time than the end of December to ponder what God has been teaching you this last year? To look back over the last 12 months and, and for you to consider the ways and the works of God in your life and, and in the world around you. Here's a simple exercise you might want to consider that can help you do some of the serious pondering before 2019 arrives. Set aside at least an hour. An hour of inner, in uninterrupted time. Find a quiet place. Begin with prayer. Asking God to show you the things that he's taught you, the things that he may want you to learn. Make what you might call a, a top 10 list. A top 10 things that have happened in my life in 2018. The top 10 things that have happened in your life in 2018. I mean, those things can be events that happened to you personally, things that happened to others that had a major impact upon your life. Those things can be good, they can be bad, they can be victories, they can be defeats. It really doesn't matter. Just make that random list of the top 10 things that happened to you or happened to those who are dear to you. Make the category as, as broad as you like. For me, my list has already begun with, I had my last treatment for my lymphoma, treatment number 12, just earlier this month. That's done. That's over with. It's more than just a fact, but I'm beginning to ponder and pray and say, God, what is it you want now? What's going on? Um, my younger brother's passing in October more than just a fact, but God, what are you trying to teach me? What should I do with that? Um, 35 years of pastoral ministry, humbled by God's grace and mercy in the midst of that. 43 years of blissful marriage, mostly. <laughs> Friends. Some friendships have sort of drifted and new friendships have come on the scene. What, what's with all of that? God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? And then family. Four grandchildren that are amazing and uh, 
uh, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law that are amazing as well and the journey that God has all of them on. Those are just some things that, that I have begun to think about and I've begun to ponder and, and treasure and ask God, what is it that you want to say to me through these life events? Do the same. You know, as you look at your list, ask God to show you what patterns are at work. What is God teaching you? What lessons seem to come up again and again and again? What have you learned about yourself, both good and bad? And once you've done that, focus now on the Lord. You know, what have you learned about God's character in the midst of this? I mean, our Emmanuel, God with us, amazing. What have you learned about his character? What's been great about God for you this last year? Ask the Lord for insight as to to where he might be leading you in the year to come. Use all of this as a basis for some personal prayer requests as you enter into 2019. I really truly believe that if you do this exercise with an open heart, that God will meet you and show you fresh insights that will give you a heightened awareness about the past, hope for the future, but most importantly, remember to be reminded of all that Jesus Christ is for you. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our love. He is our peace. We've been talking about those things the last couple of weeks. Our Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Mary pondered and treasured these things that God had been doing in her life and she was processing, trying to understand and make sense of those things. And that's a helpful practice for all of us. But we can sometimes allow the busyness of life to just crowd out those times that we need to take to pause, ponder, and treasure. Do that before the new year begins. Well, what about the shepherds? They had an incredible experience too. How did they respond to the Christ child and, and what can they teach us? Well, the shepherds, glorify and praise your God for his amazing salvation plan. Glorify and praise your God for his amazing salvation plan. Notice verse 20 of Luke chapter 2. And the shepherds, they returned after they had visited with Mary and Joseph and the baby, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I I can't imagine the shepherds, how they were profoundly changed based upon what they had experienced, heard, and seen. I mean, what a difference a day makes. Notice back in verses 8 through 14 of chapter 2, the experience that they had. And in the same region, there was shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, a story that we're all very familiar with. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Okay, that doesn't happen every day. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who with whom he is pleased. That's what they heard that night. Can't imagine 
can begin to fathom the reality of, of what they had experienced, the fear that they had, the anxiety that was there, the awe, the wonder that they had gone through in the midst of all of that. They were overwhelmed by God's power, by the angelic presence, by his goodness, his promise, and, and the amazing miracle of the incarnation for them, for these lowly shepherds. It was good news. Good news. Good news of great joy. Not for some people, but for all people. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. They simply couldn't stop talking about what they had seen and heard and the hope that they now had a Savior. Once they saw Mary, Joseph, the child, the first ones to see the Christmas child, Emmanuel, it says that the shepherds returned to where they had been. Back to their work of caring for sheep. To their tiring, to their often unappreciated work of caring for a bunch of animals. That was probably within a 48-hour period of time that they were back from where they first encountered the angel or the angel encountered them. They saw the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and now it was time for them to go back to work. Time to go back to the routine, to the mundane, to the responsibilities, to their job. And so they did. But, but they went back changed. They went back different. And they were glorifying and praising God in the midst of their life in ways that they had never done before because of what they had seen and what they had heard and what they had experienced that Christmas child amazing for the shepherds life would never be the same I'm convinced of that you know on the day before Christ was born they were in the fields tending their sheep on the day after he was born they were back in the fields once again yeah the work was the same but they were different I think they went back with a zeal, a new zeal, a new joy, a new love for God in their hearts. Yes, tending sheep. Christmas didn't change their circumstance, but it changed them personally, deeply and profoundly. Has Christmas changed you deeply, profoundly? Are you different today because of Christmas? It was for them. It can be for you as well and for me. And because it changed them, I believe it changed the way in which they approached life and their daily work. They still had to deal with cranky, smelly sheep. Sometimes they stepped in sheep manure, struggled through cold, hard days and nights. But I don't know that that really mattered to them any longer because they had seen the Christ child and began to understand the amazing gift that God had for them, as they began to understand and see the unfolding plan of salvation and redemption. Verse 17 says that they made known, they made known to not just a few, but to everyone what they had heard, seen, and experienced. A Savior who is Christ the Lord is come. They were different. You see, the festivities of Christmas eventually end for all of us. 
Soon enough, we'll take down the tree and pack away the lights and the ornaments and, and either use the gifts or take them back to the store to be exchanged or maybe put them aside and re-gift them for next year. Not that any of us would do that. You know, in a few days, the, the kids will be going back to school and, and life will return to normal. But will we be changed by Christmas? Will we be blown away by God's amazing gift of salvation that was introduced to the world some 2,000 years ago? The good news of great joy. Or will it be business as usual in 2019? Christmas impacted Mary and the shepherds. So what steps did Joseph and Mary take as a family following the birth of Jesus? And how was their life radically transformed and impacted? What did they do as a family? And what should be our response as a family to the events of Christmas? And that's our third point. His family. Obey what we are told by our God and actually follow through. You see, when Jesus was born... The known world was in widespread despair. I was reminded as I was reading the, more about the history, the culture, the time, and the events of, of the birth of, of Christ, and what was it like for Mary and Joseph and their family. Realize that the Roman government ruled with an iron fist, with its legions of soldiers marching up and down across the face of the earth, holding everyone in fear. The Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, had demanded a census be taken so that he would know how much that he could tax. You see, people didn't have an option. They didn't vote on these kinds of things. When Caesar Augustus spoke, people did what he said without question. Otherwise, they would lose their life. Can you imagine if that were to happen today? If our government were all of a sudden to say to us that on April 15th, 2019, everyone needs to go back to their hometown to register, file their taxes. I mean, think of the, the uproar that there would be. But Mary and Joseph obeyed. Evil and ruthless rulers like Herod governed the land of Judea as a police, a military dictatorship. Remember, it was this same Herod that ordered the execution. The execution of all male children two years old and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem after he met the wise men and felt he'd been tricked by them. We have that recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Evil and ungodliness were widespread. It was a dreadful time. The nation of Israel and the Jewish religion had, had deteriorated. The faith of Israel had become corrupted by several religious ruling classes that, that were made up of one group of legalistic Pharisees who not only wanted to live the law of the Old Testament, but added hundreds of their own laws to how one needed to live their life. And then on the other side, you had the worldly Sadducees. The word of God had been silent for 400 years, from the last writing of the Old Testament book of Malachi to the time of Jesus' birth. There had been no prophetic words from the Lord, no prophet on the scene to speak declaring God's truth for 400 years. 
But even, but even in what seemed like a God-abandoned time, Luke says that Joseph and Mary were obedient and did everything according to the Old Testament law and the Lord. Everything. They, by faith, walked according to the desires of the Lord. Verse 21, it says, Jesus was circumcised after the eighth day. Verse 24, they offered a sacrifice. How? According to the law. Verse 27, they brought Jesus to the temple according to the custom of the law. Joseph and Mary lived an obedient life of worship and surrender to their Lord and obeyed to the best of their ability in their most difficult, deplorable time. I'm sure it wasn't easy for them as a family, considering You know, as young parents, they may have also had other names that they might have considered. I'm sure as they were engaged before they had the encounter with the angel, had thought about names once they were married. But they were told by the Lord that he was to be called Jesus, the name given by the angel. And they obeyed. In Hebrew, the name Yeshua, which means to deliver, to rescue. In the Jewish culture, names meant something. In the name Yeshua, Jesus would be the one to rescue and deliver us from, from, as our Savior from our sins. So the angel of the Lord said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, and, and why was the name so important? For he will save his people from their sins. You see, Mary and Joseph obeyed what they were told, followed through on all that God had instructed them. They were a deeply devout Jewish household where Jesus was taught everything according to the law of the Lord. God, God was fulfilling his prophetic promise, counting down the time, arranging the details for the arrival of his son to be born in Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary were not allowing the culture of their day to dictate, to influence the values that they embraced, or how they lived their lives for God. And they did it in an incredibly ungodly, wicked, and unfair time. Amazing. But God, but God was working in and through them as they worshipped him. And he was using them to be a part of bringing light, life, and hope to a very needy and dark world. So how about us? How about you? How about your family? Men, how are you leading? Are you leading well? Are you leading according to the principles and the dictates and the principles of God's word? Or are you allowing the culture of of entertainment and sports to, to overshadow and take priority over the things of God in your home? It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us. The way in which Mary and Joseph lived their life in the most difficult of circumstances, if they could do it, we certainly can as well as we walk faithfully with our God. You see, for Joseph and Mary, even in the seemingly God-forsaken time, God was very much in control. As you've heard us say around here, God either allows, disallows, or directs. And no matter what our circumstances are, we can have joy in the midst of whatever we're walking through. Pastor Tim, a couple of weeks ago, talked about joy and what joy was. Joy is a deep satisfaction despite the circumstances. 
And that was so true of Joseph and Mary. How about you? Are you going through a tough time? Are your circumstances difficult? Are you able to find joy in the midst of that despite the circumstances? Recognizing that Emmanuel, our God, is with us. He's our hope. He's our joy. He's our peace. He's our love. Let's obey and follow our God, worshiping him with all that we have. Well, 40 days have passed since the birth of Jesus. And so Joseph and Mary take Jesus, bring him to the temple, according to the law, ready to dedicate their firstborn son, according to the law, in obedience to God. And they encounter a man by the name of Simeon, who is there waiting to celebrate the Savior. And let's see how his life has changed. And Simeon, celebrate the Savior as you see him for all that he is. That's how Simeon approached it. Celebrating the Savior as he saw him for all that he was, all that he is. And for Joseph, for Mary, there was nothing outwardly to distinguish them from anyone else. No marks or signs of, that indicated that they were anything special other than another poor young couple coming with their newborn son to the temple to dedicate their child. But there was a man that was there at the temple named Simeon. He's never seen this couple before. They have never seen him before. But a divinely planned encounter is about to take place. And Luke tells the story in this way. Notice verse 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, aside from what we're told in Luke chapter 2, we know nothing about Simeon. We don't know his background. We don't know his hometown, his education, or even his occupation. I mean, we assume he was a, a priest, although the text doesn't say that. Um, we also assume he was an old man, but again, it's not clear from the text. Um, it also appears that he came to the temple every day or very often, but again, the text doesn't tell us that for sure. He simply appears on the stage of history as led by God as an important player in the drama surrounding the events following the birth of Christ to do two very important things, to declare and to reaffirm a message of hope to the world. And after his part is over, he fades from the scene, never to be heard from again. But notice this man's character. I love the way in which Luke writes of him. He's, he's a man spiritually in tune with the things of God. He's described as a man spirit-filled, righteous, devout, eagerly awaiting the appearance of the Messiah. Love that. All of his life, He'd been holding on to the promise of a coming deliverer, faithful, even in the midst of a God-forsaken time, a corrupt religious system. He'd been holding on to the promise of this deliverer. He hoped in a future that God had promised. And God told him somehow, maybe it was in a dream, that he wouldn't see death until he saw the promise of God fulfilled. 
Notice verses 27 through 29. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Mary and Joseph show up in the temple. Simeon runs over, snatches the baby from their arms, spins around, and starts saying, Now I can die in peace. Okay, if that's not strange, I mean, be like Pastor Tim, baby dedication here, grabbing one of the kids and go, Now I can, and you can fill in the rest. I mean, just, it got attention, I'm sure, of those that were there in the temple. I think that was a part of the purpose. It got the attention of the other religious leaders that were there in the temple that day. But here's what I think he's saying when he's talking about departing in peace. He's not talking about leaving the temple or finally seeing the promise totally fulfilled. I think he's saying, okay, finally, finally, I get to die. I have been waiting for years and years to see the Messiah, the Deliverer that you have promised, Lord. I have seen his face, and that's all I need. I've seen him. The word that's used of of Simeon, depart, as as it's used here, means to, to escape confinement or to be dismissed from a position, a military concept here. And so I think Simeon is saying in this very moment, thank you, God. Thank you. I have seen him, the face of the Lord's Christ. And I can finally leave the confinements of this broken, ungodly world, and I can go in peace because I now know I have seen the Holy One. You know, Simeon won't live to see the Lord grow up. He won't witness any of the great miracles. He won't see Jesus walk on water, feed the 5,000, raise the dead. Simeon will be long gone when Jesus stands before Pilate. The crucifixion is hidden from Simeon, as is the resurrection. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Simeon. It doesn't matter that he won't see the end because Simeon has seen the beginning, the hope. And for him, that was enough. He saw the Christmas child, and that was enough. Notice what he says about Jesus in verses 30 and 31. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people." If you think about those verses, it was true that Jesus was a Jew. But he didn't come just for the Jews. That was a part of Simeon's declaration. Simeon tells us two very important things about Jesus' role and Jesus' purpose. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And again, he's doing this in the midst of the temple with all of the other religious leaders that are there. Simeon declares that this baby will not only be for the glory of his own people, Israel, but he will also be the light of revelation for the Gentiles. 
He's not just for Israel. He didn't come just for their benefit. He came to shine a light of revelation of God into every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. The Jews couldn't say, he belongs to us and you can't have him. Nor could they say you have to become a Jew to enjoy the Messiah's benefits. Nope. That's what some Jews expected. But Simeon, his words explode forever, a narrow nationalism that was embraced by most Jews. Simeon boldly, loudly declares in the Jewish temple, the heart in the center of Israel, with many other Jewish religious leaders present, he's the savior of the whole world, rich and poor, young and old, black and white, Jew, Gentile, all people are included in his coming. He didn't come for a select small group. He came for the whole wide world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He what? He gave. He gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. That means there's hope for each and every one of us who sit here this morning. There is hope for you if you're feeling lonely this year. Simeon meant to include you if you feel forgotten, if you feel depressed, discouraged. Christmas is for you. Whatever sins may be holding you back this year, Christmas means that you can be forgiven because Jesus came for you, our Emmanuel. In verse 32, Simeon calls him, For the glory of your people Israel. You see, in this baby... Simeon sees the fulfillment of all the hopes, all the dreams of the Jewish people across the centuries. And to call Jesus the glory of Israel takes us, I think, back to the time of Abraham when the Lord said to Abraham that I will make your name great and I will make of you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then after that came the restatement of the promise to Isaac, then to Jacob, Still later, God promised David a son who would reign on his throne forever. And still later, God spoke through Isaiah and promised that a son would be born of a virgin and that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And still later, Micah predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And you see, for generations, the promises were repeated over and over and over again. Until that day. Until that day when Emmanuel would be born in Christmas. Savior of the world, born in the likeness of men. You know, we have so many reasons to celebrate our Savior as we see him for all that he is. Not just one day a year, but his life should impact our lives every single day. Don't let Christmas just be a, another day on the calendar as a holiday. Let it impact you hugely. Close with this. A story is told of a wealthy European family that decided to have their newborn baby dedicated in their enormous mansion. Dozens of guests were invited to the elaborate affair and they all arrived dressed elegantly. After putting their coats on a bed in an upstairs room, the guests were entertained royally. Soon the time came for the main purpose of their gathering the baby's dedication, the ceremony for the baby. But where's the baby? No one seemed to know. 
Uh, the child's governess uh, ran upstairs, returned in a desperate look on her face, and everyone searched frantically for the baby. And someone recalled having seen the baby asleep on one of the beds upstairs. The baby was on a bed all right, buried beneath a pile of coats and jackets and furs. The object of that day's celebration had been forgotten, had been neglected, nearly smothered, but okay. Well, the baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas can easily be hidden beneath the piles of traditions, holiday rituals of the season, and smothered by our own selfishness, pride, and arrogance. See, we need to enter 2019 asking ourselves this question. Where in my life is Jesus? And will he be hidden beneath the stuff of this next year? Or, we, or will we give him his rightful place in our home and in our heart that we might put him on full display so that others will see? 